0: Welcome to another episode of the Head of Nations podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and across from me is your co-host, Ben. So, Ben, what's new in your nations this week?
1: This week has been pretty busy, so really just trying to stay afloat, to keep the unit charged. So that means, like, you know, sleep, eat, eat, doing the basic human things in order to survive uh that's what it's been like this week so we had probably the longest baseball game i've ever sat through um yesterday and it was not not a good thing it was just just painful so we made it it was a character builder for the coaches primarily but we made it and um you know i'm happy to report that everybody is um, well, when I left, everybody was waking up, so it was a good—it was like a good night's sleep for them, not necessarily for me, but you know, it's almost Friday, so.
0: So you've seen a lot of baseball games. So for this yeah. to have been the longest baseball game you've ever been at—that's kind of a big deal.
1: Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a nightmare. <laughs> um, it was a night. It was a, just a waking nightmare. Although I had one cool thing, one cool moment where my son, he crushed a foul ball in and I feel like it was the longest hit I think I've ever seen him hit but how he his approach was something I've never seen before he happy gilmore this thing so the the pitcher on the other team was throwing very slowly this is like under 10 so so the the it was clearly his first time pitching and Bo was just in. it was a couple days ago I was I was pitching to him and I was trying to give him fast you know fast pitch you know to make him make him like ready for a faster pitcher is what I, I was thinking and this kid was pitching slow and Bo took one and you could tell he was kind of like oh man this is kind of and then the next pitch he took two shuffles out of the batter's box and hit a just a bomb of a foul <laughs> ball that I had never seen that before so it was a, a first and it was well, it was kind of awesome in that way, but...
0: You know. It's a proud dad moment where <laughs> yeah. you're like, my kid crushed that. It That's was a foul right. ball, it but it was a, a really long foul ball. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> nice. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So this week for me, it's been kind of my goal, ironically, is to set goals. I try to have goals for my family, things that I can lead better in or goals for how to lead my children and how to lead my wife and just how to lead myself better And so I've I've worked on some of that this week, and we've had some challenges this week just behaviorally, not anything terrible, but as the kids grow into different stages, there's always that settling in period where they're getting into a new stage in life, and they don't really like that. And so both my son and my daughter are kind of hitting these newer stages in life, and there's a little bit of struggle there emotionally on their end for how they process that. So trying to walk through that as well. And lastly, just reevaluating my approach to parenting periodically, where I tend to deal with myself very sternly. So I try to not give myself much wiggle room because if I give myself too much wiggle room, I'll become that sloth monster we've talked about. But recognizing that my children need an extra measure of grace sometimes, and that the approach for myself is not the universal through which I should approach all things. So trying to find that balance, too, of sometimes too much grace is bad when you're parenting, and that can lead to bad behavior and bad discipline in the household as far as respect for authority. But too little grace can just kind of lead to their character being squashed. So just trying to reestablish balance there as well. All right, well, why don't we get into the verse of the week this week? And the verse of the week is 2 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 and it's the first part of verse 9 it's verse 9a and this is one of my favorite passages this has been a favorite passage of mine for uh, well over a decade probably i would say for quite frankly close to 15 to 20 years now so the verse is for the eyes of the lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him And that's a really profound passage to me that god is looking out for people who are sold out for him they're a hundred percent committed to him he's looking for them he's like i see you and i'm going to give you strength so i wanted to hear what you had to say about that
1: yeah and thank god for that because i mean we we don't look for him but he looks for us um and he looks for for hearts that are like ready to to come after him you know and, and ready to find life in him, which is, to me, I'm like, thank God, (laughs) because I was not ever, you know, before I surrendered to him, not ever would I have come to a place where I was going to be fully committed to him, you know, that was never something that, that was in my mind that I would ever be fully committed to him, it was always full commitment to, well, to my own self and ego, you know, Um, so that is just a, an incredible verse shows his grace and his mercy to, to a sinful man like me.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to get into the topic this week, and this is a topic now that we're in double digits for episode number, so This is episode 10. We're going to get to the David episode, which I am extremely excited about. So we're going to be talking about King David. And really, when I, I think of David, I think of David, the man after God's own heart. He's a warrior he's a poet, he's a flawed man, yet he's penitent. He's a very complex guy. And so when we look at David, we see someone who's really committed to God, but he messes up. And when he messes up, man, he messes up big. But when he messes up big and he's called out for it, he repents and seeks God again. And so when we look at David, it's going to be a long ride. Hang with us here. It's going to be a bit complex. We're going to have to kind of boogie through some of these passages, but I want, want you to see the complexity of the man here, all right? The man who's sold out to God, committed to God, but still fighting the flesh, and sometimes he loses. So I want to start out with chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Chapter 16, where we really get one of our first images of the character of David. So that's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 18 through 22. So the passage we're going to look at is about Saul. Saul's being troubled by an evil spirit that God sent to him after Saul had rejected God and God had rejected Saul. And the passage says, Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, and here's what we get to David here. I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. So this is our first really intro to David after he's anointed by Samuel. We see David before this where he's kind of out with the sheep and Samuel's like, God sent me to anoint one of these sons of Jesse. And Jesse brings all his sons out and David's out in the field. And Samuel's like, are these all your sons? And they're kind of like, yeah, this is us, right? Like, we're, we're all the sons here. And then they're like, oh, wait, there's that guy out in the field with the sheep. And so we, we see him here. But this is the first really intro after this anointing. And what an intro. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine someone saying this of you? First of all, you play the harp. Brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And here's the best part. And the Lord is with him. So David early on already was building or had built through God one of the most important things that you can build as a man, and that's a reputation. David had a reputation as a skillful harpist, being brave, being a warrior, being well spoken being handsome and having the blessing of god upon him so this is early david here just wanted to get your reaction to that first
1: yeah i think that is like a kind of rubs against the um the sunday school you know traditional picture of david where he's like like a little boy you know and i've always struggled with that i'm like yeah but he ki- he said he killed like a bear and he killed like a lion. And it's yeah, like, I want to get to that in now, a minute. Yeah, it's like, and he does, he gives credit where credit, he gives credit to the Lord. Like the Lord gave me them, you know, gave them into my hand. He is a man at this point who is an ex- has experience with fighting with his hands and possibly weaponry, well, obviously weaponry with his sling, who is, is actually a, someone who presents himself well but at this point in his life, he he plays, he plays the man, and I think that is something that that Saul, who's not seeking God, will f- he will find you know, very attractive. You know, as as a as a companion and as you know someone who, who he's trusting with his life. You know, um, the king of of Israel is, look, is going to be looking to David for peace which is very interesting to me, Uh, this young man who's, you know, who's, who's the you know, the Lord's warrior is going to bring peace to even this fallen
0: king, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that that peace has to come through. If you look at it, it has to come through war where God subdues the enemies through David and uses that to then bring peace. And maybe we'll get to some spiritual applications there as well. But right now, just going to keep it at that surface level. Just a side note. So One of my favorite samurai from Japan, his name is Musashi, and he gives an account of as a 13 year old, so he's 13, his first duel to the death at 13, and he fights a full grown man, strikes him to the ground, and kills him, all right? At 13, Musashi kills a full-grown man. So we see David here, and the language in the Bible describes him as a young man, so maybe, you know, like in his teens here, in his early to mid-teens. And I see historical examples of this where some people are just built like that, where either they mature and grow quickly, they've got good genetics like that, or they just have that warrior spirit where they're like, I don't care how big you are, I am going to win. And so we see this coming up here, young David, so this is young David, all right? He's brought into the service of Saul. And then we see the next instance is David and Goliath. And when we look here, we see where David sees the Israelite armies kind of being held at bay by this giant who's defying God. David comes out and he's like, what's going on with this battle? And he sees this giant defying God, really blaspheming God. And David's kind of, confused as to why no one is challenging this man. It's like, is is no one fighting this guy? Why is no one fighting this guy? He's defying God. What are you doing? And so he's like, okay, well, I'll do it. I will stand in the gap here. Is no one else going to fight this guy? I can do it. And people are like, hey, there's this young guy here and he's willing to fight. Like we aren't, but he is. And so they bring him to the king. And the king's like, you can't fight this guy. You're too small. This is where we get This account here, and Saul says this Saul says in chapter 17 33, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. And this is what you were talking about earlier. And then David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it. And rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. I want to read one more verse. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So we see David is like, you know what? When I was tending my father's sheep as a boy, a bear came along and it grabbed the sheep. I went and killed it. A lion came along. I grabbed it by the hair and I killed it. All right, so I want to contrast this with today, like the state of masculinity today. I want you to think, first of all, there's a protector right there, a warrior and a protector. He has a charge given to him and to keep the charge of watching the sheep he's got to protect the sheep and he holds his life in the balance. And is like, I will risk my life to discharge my duty. So there was a study that came out in 2021 and it was what animals could you beat in a fight if you're unarmed? I don't know if you heard about this. Did you hear about this? No. Okay. This I like is where this is going. Though. This is depressing to <laughs> me. All right. Like, so now listen, I don't know if I just think differently. And I, I I don't know if something's wrong with me, mm. but like mm. Mm. when I go to a zoo or I go to an animal park, I, I'm not a, afraid of the lion. I'm not a, like, we're bros. Mm. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe something's wrong with yeah. me. Yeah. But like when we go to Living <laughs> Treasures, I'll go look at the eye, lions and like, I'll look them in the eye. Yeah. And like, I'll just, I'll like stare them in the eye and I'm like, I'm not afraid of you. Yeah. Go ahead. Do you want to get over that? You want You want to try to jump the fence? <laughs> Right? Like, I, it's not like I really want to fight the lion, no. but it's like, I have no fear of the lion. And would I win? I don't know, hmm. but I'd sure try. Now, today, how many people do you think said that, think about this, a rat, mm-hmm. right? So a rat to human ratio, mm-hmm. I would think if someone was fighting a rat unarmed, I would think like ninety nine point five percent of human beings would be like I could beat a rat in a fight. Yeah, that's what that's what I would think, right? I mean, there are some people that have health impediments. Maybe you know they're infirmed.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd
0: but, be the point five.
1: Right, right. So
0: I would think everyone else would be like a rat. Like, are you serious? Like, I could crush that thing yeah, in a fight. They, I'm like twenty them. times the size. Yeah. Twenty eight percent of people said they couldn't beat a rat in a fight.
1: That's that is twenty
0: eight percent of people.
1: That's too high.
0: Right. Okay. 31% said they couldn't be a house cat in a fight. A house cat, All right? now, I want you to think like ratio. Now people might be like, cats have claws, cats. Have-. A cat weighs like 10 pounds. You weigh like 160, 180, or even if it's like a lady, like, yeah. you can crush, you, you can crush you can their bones. Pick that thing up, yeah. <laughs> swing it by the tail and chuck it, right? 39% said they couldn't beat a goose in a fight. Like cats at least have claws, geese have a beak.
1: Geese don't have anything.
0: Right, that's it, yeah. They're they're prey. Yeah, 39% said they could not beat a goose. 51% said they couldn't beat a medium-sized dog. So that's like, you know, 50-pound dog. Yeah. That's where we're at today. And David's like, this lion came along and I killed it. Right, so just this mindset difference where, we have, if you think just to a couple of generations ago in World War II, when people were called to face horrific odds, like the people that stormed the beaches at Normandy on D-Day, they did it, they answered the call, they risked it all. A lot of them gave everything. And today, 51% of Americans are like, I'm the ancestors of these people, I couldn't beat a medium-sized dog. Yeah. Now there is a little bit of hope. I yeah. got a little bit of hope. 8% were like, I could totally take a lion in Ooh. a fight unarmed okay eight percent all right so when yeah. i saw these stats i was like it's gonna be like point one percent yeah but that's but, hi-
1: that's higher uh, yeah but yeah. like that gave me a little bit of hope yeah a
0: little bit of hope but david didn't just say he could do it yeah he did it yeah yeah so now they're like okay you said you can do it you're gonna do it go fight this go fight this philistine so david does it and i want you to think about this size mismatch? so odds are you know david's probably if stats hold true somewhere like in the five, six range, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Goliath is listed as about nine and a half feet Mm -hmm. tall. And if you've ever been around a really tall person, that size difference matters. And as a grappler, like size matters, Mm. skill matters more, but size matters a lot. So David's going out there to fight this guy to the death. Now, here's what I think is really cool, where we see the prudence of David. I was always taught in Sunday school, back in the day when I was a little tyke, that David's like, oh, I'm so little. This armor that you gave me, King Saul, is just too big. Yeah, right. And you know what? Like, I, I, I can't fight in this because it's, it's just really too big. So I'm going to take a second to look at why mm. David didn't wear the armor. David gets this armor, and they're like, hey, go fight this guy. And he says, I'm reading from the scripture now. I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're too big. He just, He's like, I've never I'm, fought in this. I'm I can't not. go in this. There's the prudence. Young David is prudent, right? So he's circumspect. So he's prudent. He's got a warrior spirit. But there's this rashness to him as well, where he's like, mm-hmm. you called out God. I will fight that fight, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Now, he's not fighting the fight of like, you called me out. He's like, you you called out God? You're defying the living God of Israel? I'll I'll fight you. So he's rash, but he's prudent. And he trusted that God would defend his name, God's name, through him. That's what he he saw himself as like a vessel Mm -hmm. for defending the name of God. And so obviously David defeats Goliath. And we see this like, we, we don't understand this today. David beheads him takes the sword. He's like, I'm going to cut your head off. Mm-hmm. Kills Goliath, cuts his head off, carries the head as a trophy, takes the sword back as a trophy, right? That's a warrior. And he celebrated, and it galls Saul, mm-hmm. right? So there's, we see this little kind of divide here. But David starts meeting success. The Bible says in First Samuel 18, 12 through 16, but it mentions it several times that David had success wherever he turned. Mm-hmm. So there's this blessing of God upon David that whatever David does, it goes well. It goes better than anyone else's task. So Saul's like, okay, I'll put you in charge of my army. Yeah, I'll put you in charge over here. I'll put you in charge over there. And you keep having success. I'll give you a greater and greater charge. So David continues to have success. Young David. All right, now I hear your thoughts.
1: When I think of him, you know, and having this success and... And even in his, in his defying the Philistine, you know, and Goliath, he, yeah, the, the na- the title that he gives God is the living God, the living, like the God who's alive. And it's interesting because like the Philistines have their gods, but I wonder if they would take the same offense, you know, uh, as David, David's, no, this is personal. This is, per- mm-hmm. this is my heart. You know, you, nobody talks about that. It's like talking, it's like talking about your mom. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you don't, you don't do that. Um. And the thing is, to David, and I don't know about the rest of Israel, to David, this God was alive, and he had absolute assurance, c- convinced that the living God would do what he, what he does for David. So I think, yes, like this, he is a man who's been prepared for this moment, and I think we can't miss that he was a man of faith. And when you Mm say like a a rational thing too, you know, like he was like, no, I need to be able to move in this armor. I need to be able to, you know, to be agile so I can go over and cut his head off when I need to, you know, like, um, I'm not used to it. I can't, I can't wear this. So he's, he's thoughtful. He's not like going in this, like, oh, I'm just going to stand there and the giant's going to fall over. It's like, no, I've been prepared for this. I believe that God is going to give me the victory. I'm going to step forward in obedience to him and faith, you know, that, that, that my hands Will accomplish this task you know it's like that's so interesting to me yeah as you know as a man who's uh, who, who's sometimes is you know I lack in in, in that type of faith um, in belief that God is the living God um, and then when I go forward with the belief that he is he's there he won't leave me um, what, what is there to fear really you know yeah absolutely
0: yeah and like when I think of David in the Psalms he has the confidence, he says, though, an army encamp against me. Like, an actual army of people, I won't fear. So, but he, he lived it. He fought He fought the Philistine. He fought Goliath. And he staked his life on that faith in the living God. Yeah. And another example of him being a warrior where Saul, this is young David still. Saul's like, I want you to marry my daughter. Now, the goal here, this is his daughter, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L. Mm. So, I guess in Hebrew, be Michal. But, yeah. yeah. So, he gives his daughter in marriage to David with the price of 100 Philistine foreskins. So he's like, you've got to go kill 100 Philistines and bring back evidence they're dead, which would be their foreskins. I don't want to get too gross here, but that's what they did. Mm. So David, he's like, well, okay. I mean, I don't think I'm fit to be the king's son-in-law. He says that Mm -hmm, several times, mm -hmm. but I'll go do it. Mm -hmm. And he goes out and kills. So I want us to think about this. He goes out and fights and kills, he and his guys, 200 philistines and brings back the philistine foreskins Mm -hmm. to be the bride price of michal saul's daughter and there's this warrior aspect where he's like oh is there is there something here to do like you want me to go use my sword you want to go use my sword on god's enemies on the enemies of us okay let's go let's go can i go now like right now can i go right now let's go and so he's just like really excited about battle we see this over and over again he gets keyed up for this Mm -hmm. but also principled as a warrior when his enemy, Saul, like, I don't know that he ever really views Saul as his enemy, but Saul Mm -hmm. seeks David's life several times. And David refuses to raise his hand in war against God's anointed, right? He's like, God will work this out. You're God's man right now. Even though God's rejected you, you still have that anointing. I cannot strike you. So he's willing to strike basically anyone else. But he's like, he's still principled enough that He trusts God to work this out, that I'm I'm not going to take vengeance on Saul, even though Saul's trying to kill me. Saul's trying to kill him, and he still doesn't kill Saul.
1: Threw a javelin at him. Yeah. I mean, like he ran out, you know, fleeing for his life from Saul. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then Saul twice brings armies after David, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and David's like, I still won't strike him. Yeah. And that time he was like peeing in the cave, and David's like, I could kill
1: him right now. And he he takes his, you know, he cuts a corner of the robe off. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So also david at this point is poor like economically monetarily poor so we see young david is poor so he's hiding in a cave and his family comes to him and then this is what i think is cool god brings a core group to david they're like this david guy that killed goliath he's hiding in the cave, and people are like i want to go hide in the cave with david <laughs> and so it says anyone that was poor or harassed or in debt comes to him. So these guys are just like, it's just this massive bro gang of guys. And it really is a gang. It's a gang. And David is just kind of leading this gang of guys. And they're like, wherever that guy goes, I'm with him. Yeah, caveman. Yes, he really is. And so (laughs) we see that where he's poor, he's impoverished, but that doesn't seem to matter just yet. But the people that, that come to David they're going to be blessed later. Like this is his core group of warriors that he's going to take into Philistine territory. He's going to use them at Ziklag, which we'll talk about, but like God brings a group to him. So David is faithful. God blesses him and God brings a core group of guys to him. So I I find that intriguing. Mm -hmm. Two more things I want to say really quickly is that David is loyal. He's loyal to Saul and to Jonathan. Specifically, I want to point out Saul, even when Saul is disloyal, David is still loyal to Saul because Saul is God's man, or at least was. Saul was anointed. Therefore, David never is disloyal. In fact, he's loyal to the descendants of Saul for the sake of Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And lastly, the wisdom of David, David is wise. So like when we see Solomon, David's son being wise, David himself was wise as well. When David goes down to Philistine territory fleeing Saul, and they're like, isn't this the guy that killed a bunch of us? And David's like, "Uh uh-oh. You know, it might be a good idea to act insane, and they'll just let me leave. And so he does. Whereas a a less wise person might have been like, yeah, that's me. What are you going to do about it? And then be captured. Hmm. So at David's lowest point, I think this is so awesome. Young David, at David's lowest point, he's hiding in a cave. Saul's chasing him. God brings him a following and brings him a priest, a man of God with the ephod, which is the ephod is like, it's a holy garment. It's got two stones in it that God basically answers yes or no out of, and only the priest would use that. And so God brings a representative to David when David is at his lowest. And so young David, I I can't be any lower. He was the king's man. He was Saul's man. He's in the service of the king. He's killed Goliath. He's got a kingly daughter, right? He's got a princess for, for a wife, right? He's got the king's daughter for a wife. Saul tries to kill him. Saul's chasing him. Now David's hiding in a cave. He's got a bunch of like poor debtors that are like probably criminals, just being honest, surrounding him. And then God's like, now it's time. Now I'll bring this guy to you. And David is willing to embrace what God brings to him when it happens. So David works on God's timeline because he's wise and trusts God. So one more thing on young David, then I want to kind of move into middle age David. David does not abide disrespect. So you remember the story of Nabal, So David and his guys, they're in this guy's, this guy Nabal, this guy is rich and they're kind of on his land and they protect his land. And it's festival time where they're having a celebration and David's like, hey, one of my guys here, you, you go to Nabal and you'd be like, David says this, we've been here, we've been watching your flock, nothing's gone missing, we've protected your guys, what do you have for us? So he sends the servant and Nabal's like... Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? I have nothing for him. He actually says that. You can look at the... Well, he doesn't say, I have nothing for him. He basically says, I'm not giving him anything. But he does say, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? He, He, of course, knew who he was, right? He disrespects David. And David says, put on your swords. May God do so to me. And more so, if I leave one male alive... By morning. So he's like, this guy disrespected me. Everyone's dying. (laughs) Everyone. Now here we see, this is wrong. We see, because God intervenes. I see this in my life every once in a while. We're like, I'm, I'm starting to step off the path and God intervenes and sends someone's like, Hey, listen, you might want to like, think about where you're headed with this. Think about where this philosophy is going. Mm. You're reading this book, this person's, you know, they're not a godly person. Just guard your thoughts when you're reading. You know, like God brings someone along. So God brings Abigail, Nabal's wife, and Abigail's like, listen, this is my fault. I didn't know you were here. If I would have known, I'd have brought you stuff. I brought you stuff now. Don't listen to my husband. He's a fool. Don't take vengeance. Don't do this. Don't shed blood in anger. So there seems to be a difference here between taking vengeance. She says, let God take vengeance don't you take vengeance. There's a difference between conquest and vengeance, and David was going to cross the line, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and God protected him. But we're going to see that's going to change, where David's going to cross some lines here, and God's going to judge him, but David's going to repent. So young David, he seems to be on the right path. He's doing great. God is making success happen wherever he goes. And then once David becomes king, he becomes king of Judah, and then once he becomes king of all Israel, things start to kind of slide downhill a little bit for David, where he seems to get a little bit more lax, and maybe not lax in his commitment to God, but lax in acting that out. So I wanted to give you one chance to speak here about young David before we move into middle-aged David. Young David, to me, I don't want to miss uh,
1: this part in his story, where they are bringing... Well, actually, I don't know which one is first. no. I think I do. They're bringing the ark into the city of the king, and there is a celebration. I mean, the people are celebrating pretty majorly at this point. And David dances, right? And he dances, clothes off, which had to have been just like, "What, what are you doing? Like, what is that move? <laughs> <laughs> you like doing a backflip, or I don't know." Real
0: quick, I said it danced with all its might. Yeah, yeah it's like mightily. But, so yeah,
1: whatever a mighty dance looks like.
0: Yeah, that was let's it. Picture that. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, it's getting sturdy. That's what the kids say. Maybe he's doing that. No, but uh, his wife though, wasn't it
0: Mikael? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, talk about this for a second, then I want to follow up on this. Yeah, she looks at him. She's like, "What are you doing? Like you, like how undignified? You were a king."
1: And he's like, I'll become more undignified than, you know, and then something comes between them because she would belittle him for his enjoyment and celebration of union with the Lord. Like, I mean, like she would, she would say that that is somehow not kingly. And he's just like, no, no, no. Like you got, you got it so twisted. Like I'm the king's servant and I'm an enjoyer of the king. Like this is my... This is my life. This is what makes me, me. And if you don't like this, like what, do you even love, do you know me at all? You know, mm-hmm. do you, do you love me? I mean, this is the thing that kind of comes between them um, as, as a, mar- as a married couple that she would, that she'd belittle him like that. And I was just like, oh yeah, you know, I forgot about that, that passion that he had, you know, at the beginning, the very beginning, mm-hmm. but then that goes, well, go ahead because there's something well, else I don't
0: want. A couple of things. First of all, I feel like there's some envy going on there. Now David's dancing you got to think of who David is at this point. David's king of Israel. First of all, he united Israel. Second of all, he took a city that no one could ever take Jerusalem. The city of David was the Jebusite city. That was an invincible fortress and Jebus. he is meant to, yeah. yeah. So he took it and he's at peak. He's really at the apex of his career right now. Everyone loves him. He's bringing the ark of God to Jerusalem. So it's like peak celebration and McCall's looking at him. Like if you think of peak guy, what do you know about peak guys in history? All the women like them, (laughs) right? Honestly, like Mm -hmm. you think about that, Mm -hmm. all women like them. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I think she's looking at that and she's like, here he is peak success. He's out there dancing, dances his clothes off. All the women are looking at Mm -hmm. him and they're like, there's King David. Mm -hmm. And I think she's reactionary because of that. And She belittles him. She, he doesn't put up with it, by the way. But if you look at it, there's this dynamic in marriage. I don't want to land here too long, but where wives will pick at their husbands when husbands are at their peak. I don't know what's going on. And I have some theories that I don't want to really delve into, (laughs) but it's almost like they're trying to keep them in check Mm. because they're concerned about what will happen if the husband continues on that peak, because there's always that risk that the husband has more options, Mm. right? But if you look at David, he's already got multiple wives at this point. Mm. So I wonder if that's playing into this as well, where she's jealous and she's like, are you going to take more wives? Mm. Because he's already at this point got two other wives, we know for sure. Mm -hmm. He's got, I think, Abishag? I think that's and then Abigail. Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: one was kind of like the redeeming.
0: Yeah, know, sort of. So this divides <laughs> them, but it's at his peak. He's dancing in celebration of the Lord. He's uh, like to me, it seems like he's so caught up in joy that the Ark of God, which it represents the physical presence of the Lord mm-hmm. with Israel, he's bringing it to where he lives. Mm-hmm. And he's like, God is going to be in my city, mm-hmm. my living God is here with me. Mm -hmm. That's peak joy for David. When you look at what he's doing, he's dancing in celebration of that. I don't know if everyone else knows exactly what's going on, but David knows what's going Mm -hmm. on. And David is experiencing joy at the thought of the physical presence of God being in the city with him.
1: Yeah, it's the whole whole point and purpose of Israel's existence, right? Is that God would dwell with man again. You know, God yes. is with us. So he's seeing, like, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, the fulfillment, you know, that, that we will actually see fuller in Christ. But he's, you know, he's, like, witnessing and catching a glimpse at at, the, at God's, you know, God's fulfilled promise to, well, f- for the re- renewal of the world, the heavens and the world. You know, the, he's seeing this, you know, this come into uh, fruition. And yeah, it should be you know great celebration. And, and Mikael kind of like go, he tries
0: to ruin it. Yeah, and it's like yeah. don't do, don't do that. If you think about this, David does not put up with that, and it says from that point on she she hates him. Mm-hmm. It drives a wedge in their marriage, and their marriage begins to be ruined.
1: Does it say that he? Okay, I'm I don't want to add to scripture. Check me on well, this. Well, let me. Yeah, you keep talking. Um, but I thought that it said, and I, I haven't. I should have read this before, I, I didn't plan on talking about this, that he knew her
0: not from that point on. Does it... Okay, so let me see here. So, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him mm. in her heart. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Go. yeah. Yeah. It doesn't say he didn't know her, but at right, least, I mean, there's that like, implication because yeah. he had a lot of children from a lot of his wives. So it's almost like, I don't know for sure, but it seems kind of like that where he's yeah. like, I'm done with you. It intimacy with her. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like if you're not down for me mm-hmm. celebrating the Lord coming to where I live, then I want no part of you. Hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting then. Um, and just thinking of, of, of marriage, you know, you have like, okay. So you have like the beginning of it's almost like the Garden of Eden, you know. Is you kind of feel like, oh man, maybe it'll come back, you know, the Lord with his with people again. And then you see David's like, yes, maybe you know, being the king of his people, like what an honor, what a privilege. This is an amazing thing. He's kind of like maybe another Adam type, you know, mm-hmm. and his wife Eve. Hey, let's let's do this right, and she's like, no, you know, like I'm not gonna, I'm not the new Eve, you know, like, I'm yeah. not going to do this. Um, and so you see, maybe maybe there is that disappointment. It's like the fall again. You know, and there, there's enmity now. Um, there's, you know, there's, there, there's strife between man and woman. You know, she wants the mastery, but he will roll over. There's now, it's like, no, you know, and it's...
0: Yeah, but we see David did right. He corrects her. He's <laughs> like, no, I'm not... I'm not going to submit Mm -hmm. to you. You submit to me. And if you're not going to submit to me, then I want no part of you, right? Especially Mm -hmm. it seems like she's not just rejecting him, which she is rejecting Mm -hmm. him, but she's also rejecting God. Yeah. So she's rejecting the biblical hierarchy of marriage, which is man and God. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm done. Yeah. So So as
1: as a, as a high, as that high point, you know, as high, as good as that is, it's a reminder of the fall.
0: Absolutely. That everything is broken. Yeah. Yeah, and it can only be redeemed through Christ. Yeah. Yeah, but even then we're we're fallen beings and we'll encounter mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So I wanna move on a little bit. So we've got this strife with Michal, David's king of Israel, and it just keeps getting better for him as far as wealth, as far as fame and celebrity, as far as conquest. So there's some inner strife here. We can't, this would be like a 20 hour episode if we covered all the, all the points. Yeah. I'm just covering the high points. But we see here, David is subduing all the enemies of Israel. He's amassing wealth. He's becoming famous. All right, so now, one point we didn't cover is David has this group of hard men. All right, so- mighty men. His mighty men. Now, so there's this group of fighters, one of whom, like, I want to talk about these guys for a quick second. He, he surrounds himself with these men. So David is, he is probably one of the best fighters in Israel. Like, he kills- a giant, And he just doesn't just kill a giant. He's waged multiple successful campaigns, oftentimes with fewer men, where he just trounces the enemy. Everyone knows who David is. And they're like, uh-oh, David's fighting me. And it's not just David. He has these mighty men, one of whom's like, hey, there's a lion down there. I- I'm going to go fight that lion. One of David's mighty men killed 800 men in battle by himself. One of David's mighty men, this is one of my favorite stories. He's like, "Let's go, charge, boys." And everyone's like, "Uh, no." And so he stands alone in a field, and the Bible says he slayed, he killed the enemy until his hand froze to the sword. He like, he was fighting so hard he couldn't open his hand back up from fighting and killing. All right. So these are David's mighty men. Now, these are his bros. I don't know, like, we've trained together before. We've lifted, we've trained MMA and stuff together before. There's a special bond that happens there when you suffer with other men and men that you fight alongside of and train with. There's a special bond there. Like, my training partners, I train with them on a regular basis and I've got a bond with them. And it's a bond you don't have with anyone else. The guys that you've trained with, or like, you know, if you've been on a job with someone where there's a risk, you have a special bond immediately with these men. Again, they don't have anyone else. So David's king. One of his mighty men is Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite is mentioned as one of David's mighty men. So now David's starting to slip here. He's king. He's at the apex of his career. I I would argue like he's not at the, the peak of his fame necessarily right now, but he's super famous. He's at the point where he's like, other people go off and fight for me. Now, the story of David and Bathsheba, it says that David, it's springtime and David is at home. And it says, it's the time when kings go out to war. All right. Well, where's the king? He's not going out to war. He's sending others. He he sends Joab to do that for him. And so he's home and all of his mighty men and all of his armies are off to war and Bathsheba is out there. And David's king and David sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. People did stuff differently back then. You did a lot of stuff on your roof that maybe you wouldn't do today. They had flat roofs that they would put gardens out on or other things. And so she's bathing on the roof and he's like, hey, hey, who, who is that girl? And the interesting answer is, isn't she the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So they say whose daughter she is. And like, they're like, you know, I, I think she's one of your bro's wives. And David's like, okay, bring her to me, right? So he sleeps with her, she gets pregnant. And now instead of David owning up, he does what man's sin was after the fall, man hides. All right, so Adam and Eve, they hide in the bushes like God can't find them, right? So what we see here also is David tries to hide this. So he brings Uriah home. And the worst part is Uriah's principled. So David's like, hey, you know what? Go home and sleep with your wife. And Uriah's like, All of my bros are camping out in the field of battle. I'm not going to go home to my wife. If they can't, I won't. So then after that, David's like, you know what? I'm going to get him drunk. I'm going to make sure he sleeps with his wife. So he gets Uriah drunk. And even drunk Uriah will not go home and sleep with his wife because David wants Uriah to think that's his kid. So then David's like, "Uh uh-oh, it's real now. So he writes a letter to Joab. And sends it, he knows Uriah is so trustworthy, he sends it by Uriah's hand. And he says, get Uriah at the front of the lines when the battle is the hottest and pull back so he dies. So David signs Uriah's death warrant. David has Uriah murdered one of his bros, one of his mighty men, one of the 30, there are only 30 mighty men. There are three that are the peak and then there are the 30 under that. One of his, basically like they'd be like seal teams that he presumably had fought alongside of. He has him murdered because he slept with his wife. So we see David fall. David, man after God's own heart, as much as he loves God, he messes up huge. First, by sleeping with someone else's wife. Second of all, by having the guy murdered to cover it up. But what we see, Nathan the prophet tells this heart-wrenching story. And I, I know you know the story about the guy with the sheep And David, the shepherd, is like, so this rich guy? You're telling me this rich guy took this poor guy's only sheep and slaughtered it? And Nathan's like, yeah, and you're the guy. Yeah.
1: Well, David's like, I'll kill that guy. That's exactly it. Show me him, I'll kill him.
0: Yes. Yeah, David (laughs) is so enraged. He's like, that guy deserves death. Yeah. And then he realizes it's him. No. I want you to, like, can you imagine being Nathan giving that message to the king? God's like, hey, go tell the king that he messed up big the the king that can have your head chopped off. And I'm sure Nathan is thinking about Saul had had the mm-hmm. prophets like the well, one of the prophets he had, he had the priests killed because the priests had aided David and Saul had them killed. And I'm sure Nathan's thinking about this. And God's like go. Oh. I wonder if Nathan's like, "Oh, please don't make me tell this to the king, right?" But he goes, and David repents. So, I want you to just talk for a minute about this. Like middle-aged David messes up big, but he owns it. I wanted to kind of like stay in a little bit of that, the
1: shame there that he experienced and how, like, I feel like, you know, our, our society today can probably relate to David. Now we're probably not going to kill somebody to hide from shame, but we're going to flee from it. And we're going to do everything we can to like, to avoid shame and embarrassment, humiliation. So I think we can relate to David. Like what would we do if we were all, if we were the king, you know what would we do in that situation and it's just like would we have done the same thing you know and and it's like to my i would hope that like i would be able to be like no you know he is my brother but it's just like i feel like unfortunately all of us have have try, have fled from have fled for fear of shame before um i even had a i had a dream just last night about fleeing from shame hmm. um it was a weird dream man it was like i stole a car i stole a jeep and the jeep was like supercharged oh and I this is getting weird but so you was, steal this Jeep in this yeah, dream I stole a Jeep and I and I remember I just like you know jacked the steering wheel and I it was pedal to the metal and I raced off somewhere and the owners of that jeep like I I think I jumped it I w- it was a crazy exciting dream um and then I got you know I got out and I you know, I went into this, I was at this weird place. I ended up in my grandma, and my grandpa's house. Um, but then there were people there. Like, you know, people who knew me and I was comfortable with, they were like friends of mine. I didn't know them, they were just friends of mine. And I remember going kind of down the stairs and them looking at me and be like, did you see it? Did you see it? And I'm like, see what, And it, the van. And I was like, the van? And I look outside, there's a black van and people come out with cameras and they're oh. about to expose me. And I'm like, I take off around the back and I'm jumping a fence and mm. I wake up at that moment and I'm fleeing shame. Yeah, And I'm like, what the heck? I couldn't go to sleep. I, was, I, was, I don't know why I was so disturbed because it really was, like a, it was kind of like a bad,
0: Awesome dream
1: yeah. at the same time. It was like, oh man, that was bad, but that was kind of awesome.
0: Yeah, but, <laughs> but it, it was like, what is that? It's very instructive. I feel like that. Oh, oh, yeah, we you're we do want to. This? No, no, just just fleeing shame. Okay. I, I really wonder. Like, <laughs> I've had a dream before. I preached a sermon one time yeah. that I feel like God gave me for the purpose. I wonder if this was a God given dream just for the purpose of, of this. Like, it was like, so it's, vivid. It's, it's illustrative of the fact that that man after he <laughs> sinned in the garden hid because he was ashamed and afraid right? And we tend to do this, but integrity is the opposite of that, where you own what you've done. You admit what you've done. You own it and accept it. You, you repent from it, right? But that's, that's a really hard thing to do. And I think why I respect that, and I think you respect that when people own what they've done, whether it's wrong or right. Like if someone owns their words, I respect that far more than the person that backpedals, if someone does something wrong, they're like, I did wrong. I'm sorry. I respect that way more than the person that tries to hide it. Right. And yeah, David tries to hide it. We we all understand that. Like why people lie a lot of times is to hide shame or guilt. But in the end, integrity is the only way forward. David had his sin exposed and God says that he's, you know, sins will be exposed. That which we do in darkness will be exposed in the light i wish i had the, the reference for that in front of me mm-hmm. it's a new testament mm-hmm. reference but he tries to hide it and it comes back to bite him and by the way god says i've re- you should die for this but i've removed the sin from you've i removed this mm-hmm. guilt from you so we see this redemption aspect here grace offered to david but there are still consequences mm-hmm. the son the child dies so best she was pregnant the child dies right the judgment has to happen so While he's doing all these things, he's also still saving money and supplies for the temple. So he wants to build the temple. So as David ages, he's like, I I want to build a house for the Lord. And God's like, uh uh, you're not going to build a house for me because you're a man of blood. Now, what I really like, we don't know. Some people are like, well, David was a warrior. He killed people in battle. Therefore, he couldn't build the house. What I don't know, and I need to look more into this, but. Whose blood mm, is being talked mm-hmm, of here? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it Uriah's blood? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But David was a man of battle, God blessed him in battle, and God used that battle to bring peace eventually to Israel. But David's told, you can't build a temple, your son's gonna build the temple. Mm-hmm. But God also promises to build a house. So it's, it's by the way, it's, it's house, not temple, the Bible says. David wants to build a house for mm-hmm. the Lord. And God's like, I'm gonna build a house for you. That house is gonna be this kingdom which someone from your line will always rule. And now we know that someone is mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. even despite David's failings of the Bathsheba and Uriah incident. God is still faithful to David, and David still is faithful to God as as much as is humanly possible as fallen David can do. Now he does commit another major sin, which is numbering the people. I don't know why this is a sin mm-hmm. other than like we we're not told. It seems to be like a pride, a sin of pride. Like, how many fighting men do I have? How how big is my kingdom? Yeah. Yeah. And this is instructive of David, I think. This is older David. God's like, you've done wrong. You know you've done wrong. I'm going to judge you. Do you want to be sick? Do you want to be pursued by your enemies? Or do you want to be punished by my hand? Mm. And David's like, oh, let me fall into the hands of the Lord Mm. because he's merciful. So to me, that still shows the heart of David. He trusts God. He knows he's got to be punished, but he trusts that God's punishment is not going to be overbearing. So even older David still has trust in the Lord. Now, we've only got a a few minutes left. We're going pretty long, but I want you to talk about David's parenting because Mm. this is one of the major, I would say, failings of David is to parent well and to raise his children well.
1: Yeah. When I think of David's children, I do see a i in a, in the ancient near east uh, i think there were there were things that were common that were kind of weird uh for us to to you know today to consider but like i think of absalom and his desire for the throne you know in the ancient near east if you wanted the throne you had to kill to get it you know and usually you're killing a family member a lot of the time you're killing your dad because you get impatient you want to roll you think it's time you you want to roll when you have energy, you don't want to be an old man when you rule. You want to, you know, you want to be a young, awesome king, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you see Absalom's attempt at the throne, you know, and that is very cultural. That's like an ancient Near Eastern cultural thing. And I think of, you know, and I think of like the sin that was in within the house of David that was just unchecked. That people were not held accountable am am not and tamar yeah um for that story probably we're, we're gonna get into it just in the in a little bit but but you see these cultural norms almost entering into the house of david and david not standing against them you know and i think of our houses now and i think of the invasion right i mean like our society is pressing in and our job i believe as men is to resist is the resistance you know and so we do everything we can to to live counterculturally, and to steward our kids rightly, gospel-centered. Which is going to it's going to look different. It's got to look different. And I think that's where David, you know, I think that's his failure is that he he doesn't check that, you know, at at the door. He lets yeah. that in.
0: We just talked about this in my family devotions recently, mm. where Eli's family line is cursed forever mm. because mm. Eli the priest doesn't check his sons. Yeah. God says to him, you know what your sons are doing and you've done nothing about it. So they're both gonna die and every single member of your line will die young from here on mm. out. And so God takes that sin seriously and our role as parents, man, that, that hit me. Mm. Cause I take my role very seriously as a parent. And I told my kids, that's why I take it seriously because if sins are left unchecked, it can damage generations. And we see that with David, definitely where Absalom is off track, Absalom's partially off track because of Amnon, where yeah, Amnon yeah. sins greatly and David does nothing to correct it. Yeah, no and so Absalom's like, it's my turn. I'll correct it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, David's family is just jacked up. Yeah. Yeah. And a man after God's own heart, who's a, a great ruler, seems to struggle to parent well. And I think that's instructive that a lot of times we may be squared away in one area. And not in another area so man I, I really think we need to pray for wisdom mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. all areas of life like god please you know and david even prays this, you know, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting like yeah. just pray for that reflective nature of god if something's wrong in my life please show me so mm-hmm. that i can get it right for you and for the sake of for your name and for yeah. the sake of my family
1: i wonder too if david's if david's children heard him pray that prayer. Oh, you know what I mean? Like,
0: did they see him worship?
1: Yeah. Worship and repent. Did they see a, you know, did they see the man after God's heart or not? That's, that's, that's the question. So it's living out your faith, like on your sleeve as he did when he was a young man and not losing that zeal as time goes on. And we, we begin to, you know, maybe there's a slow fade um, of, you know, of idolatry or slow fade of, of worldliness that's tolerated. It's just like, don't, don't tolerate it stand against it um, for the sake of your family.
0: All right. So why don't we kind of hit old David now? So we've got young David, middle-aged David, kind of toward later age where his family's kind of falling apart, which you just summarized really well. And our lesson we should learn from that. Now, old David, he still seems to be clinging to the kingdom, right? So at this point toward the end of his life, he's laying in bed and he's cold. He can't really go anywhere or do anything, and so they appoint a woman to lay in bed with him to keep him warm. And while this is going on, one of his sons, I think it's Adonijah, claims the kingdom despite his father promising it to Solomon. So David really doesn't have a clear succession plan, it sounds like, and he doesn't know what's going on in his own kingdom. One son had had already tried to usurp the throne earlier, so apparently this isn't on the top of his mind at this point in his life. Another son tries to usurp the kingdom and claim kingship, so he's the next in line. But David had promised the kingship to Solomon, and Solomon doesn't do anything, which I find really instructive. Bathsheba comes to David, and Nathan the prophet comes to David, and they both are like, hey, didn't you say that Solomon would be king? Then why is Adonijah over here proclaiming the kingdom? So David, old David, seems to be clinging to something that isn't necessarily his anymore. And so he waits almost until the last minute to pass on the succession of the kingdom. Because if you've seen people at the peak, or if you've been at the peak at something before, it's kind of hard to see when that starts slipping away a little bit. So I think David's trying to hang on to that. But he recognizes when he sees it's now or never, He does the right thing he fulfills his promise and passes the kingdom on to the wise son to the son that will do what is right with the kingdom which would be solomon so overall how i see david and then i want to give you a chance to respond here is throughout his life young david zealous man after god's own heart and acts in zeal for the lord We see David in middle age kind of getting a little too comfortable, starting to mess up a little bit. But when he messes up, he owns it. He has integrity. He faces his sin and faces the consequences of his sin. And then old David seems to be trying his best to hang on to something that's already gone because he seemingly doesn't want to admit that it's already gone. And really quickly, there's another example of this. There's an Egyptian, I forget his name, I wish I had his name in the forefront of my mind, that David is fighting in battle, and he's out again in battle with his people, and he gets tired, and he's fighting this young buck. And as a guy, I'm in my early 40s, and I grapple against 18, 19, 20-year-old guys all the time, And those guys have gas tanks that go forever. And so I have to be very strategic in how I grapple against them. And so David's fighting and he gets tired. He almost dies. And one of his men jumps into this man-to-man fight and kills this Egyptian. So we see David in another situation where he's trying to hang on to something that's kind of fading already. He's starting to realize this. But I see David overall, a passionate man, a warrior, a brave man, a wise man who builds a really solid kingdom and starts to expand the peaceful borders of Israel. But he's a flawed man, as we all are. But nonetheless, he is dedicated to the Lord. He makes plans to build the temple. When he realizes he can't do it, he brings Solomon in. And we see toward the end of his life, he instructs Solomon, Here's what I've got. Here are my plans. I've got this here. I've got this much silver, this much gold, this much bronze. Go talk to that guy. He's got timber for you. So he makes sure to pass on this plan for honoring and building a house for the Lord to his son. So I wanted to get your thoughts on overall David. Overall, David,
1: the way I see him and understand him and his story, it's it's like two it's like two parts of him. Like when he is when he's following the Lord, when he's after him, and you know, he's he's surrendered totally to him. He's like, he's in tune with him. There's no real doubt in his mind that God is going to provide the victory. There's no real doubt in his mind what, you know, what what needs to be done, uh, what should be done, what ought to be done. He even, you know, he eats uh, the bread of, the, you know, of the presence, you know, like, I mean, he's doing like these kind of, well, these bold and daring things and kind of like, well, is that okay kind of thing? But he's like, no, yeah, like, I know the Lord and I know that he's okay with this because he's a, you know, he's a God of mercy here, you know, like. The second part of David, right? You start seeing him waver, and I even think of the story when he's fleeing from Absalom, and he's fleeing, and his mighty men are around him, and there's I think his name is Shimei, where he's throwing rocks at David, and yeah. he's cursing him, yes, <laughs> and he, and one of his guys is like, let me let me chop his head off for you, David, you know, and he's like, no, no, who knows? Maybe God sent him here just to to torment me, like you know, and he, you mm-hmm. see him kind of down, and you know, because but he doesn't really, he's not he's not sure, he's not, he's not in tune um, with the way of of God, you know, with what he's doing. So you see that, you know, I think that that's, that's kind of like how I'm, how I'm seeing him. These, you know, when faithful, attuned with God, unfaithful, not really sure, uncertain, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, But yeah. So one last thing I want to hit before we close here, Mm -hmm. and I might catch some flack for this, but this is something I actually like about David, is that David has a few vendettas that he takes to his grave and he passes these on to his son. So he's like... (laughs) Hey, Solomon, listen, I'm old. I'm going to die. I have a few regrets. Yeah. I didn't kill Joab. <laughs> yeah. I didn't kill Shimei. Yeah. All right. And there's one other person and it, Solomon takes care of Abiathar. The pre, like he, he takes care of Abiathar because Abiathar abandons David. Mm-hmm. And we see this where he doesn't say that Solomon should kill him, but he's like, Joab, Solomon, I know you're wise. You, you know everything that Joab's done to me do what you think is right. Mm. Don't let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. <laughs> That's right. So That's I, excellent. it is. And it's, <laughs> it's something that I feel like would be frowned upon today, but I remember my dad mm. telling me a story about, and I don't know if this is true about Jay Leno's dad, where Jay Leno's dad worked in a mill and these younger guys would harass him. So Jay Leno's dad started going to the gym and he would lift and he would learn to box. And about six months later, he picks a fight with one of these guys that's been just hounding him, hounding him, hounding him, and beats him up. Oh. And HR gets called in, and he's like, what? I'm old. Clearly, I didn't do this. And he beats another guy up. And then eventually, all these guys leave him alone. And supposedly, the story goes that Jay Leno's dad tells Jay Leno on his deathbed, there's one guy left. You need to beat him up for me. <laughs> all right? So, that's, a, that's amazing. I know, right? <laughs> and listen, if I catch flack for this, I catch But there's something really the warrior spirit of I've been wronged and I mm. didn't enact justice. It's not my part, mm. but it's for you, my son. Right. And David passes <laughs> on now that it becomes like an honor. Like, yeah, I mean, like it it's is. a matter of honor now it for is. The, and for the
1: son to yes. uphold his father. You know, he wants to honor his father. Okay. So, okay, dad, I'll do that for you. Yes, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Now a different thing than would be for us is that Solomon has the anointing Right? Solomon is the king, and he has the ability and authority to carry out Mm -hmm. justice Mm -hmm. for injustice. But there's still something I like about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I wish this could be a 20-hour episode, Mm -hmm. but we've got to cut it off here. So David, the warrior king here in this sense, and he's a reflection of the king who is to come Mm -hmm. through his line, Jesus, who fights the war against evil. And is victorious over evil to redeem us and to set the world right. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, if you enjoyed it, subscribe, share, and leave a review. If you have any questions, any comments, send us an email at infoheadofnations.com. If you would like to support the show, check out our website, headofnations.com, and click the support tab. And as always, remember, We are the head of our nations, so let's go live like it. Until next time.